0: good to see everybody um yeah some some Sundays are Sundays for sitting today's going to be a sitting kind of Sunday so it's good to be back um I will say that last Saturday was one of those this happened a year ago as well where you know you wake up and I'm like yeah I don't feel so great something's a little bit off you know and we got the the COVID diagnosis and I get to call Sam Adams on a Saturday afternoon. I said, hey, Sam, what are you doing tomorrow? So I sent him my sermon notes. And the good thing is, like, I pretty much write down every thought that I have, color-coded and what have you. But man, Sam just took um, those notes and I listened to it at home. What a great Sunday. It was just so good, just the the power of the Word of God. And it doesn't matter who speaks it, you know. It's just the Word of God is just... It's faithful, like we were talking about a moment ago. The Lord is faithful. He, he, he accomplishes that which he um, intends to accompli- accomplish. So thanks uh, to Sam. I don't even know if he's in here or not, but for, for pinch-hitting, there he is so well. Um, last week, he did a great job. So we're in the realia. It's uh, the teaching tool that the Lord uses, realia, food and drink, these objects that the Lord uses in various situations where he's making truth be known. So this is our... Uh, sermon series. I'm going to pray in a moment, but I'm going to do a little bit of a, a little bit of an introduction first. So last week, Sam walked us through the Sermon on the Mount, basically, where Jesus juxtaposes the difference between, as Luke was talking about a few moments ago, being hungry versus being full, uh, longing for and desiring righteousness, um, and to live a righteous life, uh, versus thinking that you're okay because you're already full and the world's given you everything that you need and you're pretty content. And we were reminded that the truly hungry that are receiving righteousness, only there will you be satisfied. Uh, Great word, that word satisfied, but everything else is just going to let you down. There's no vacation or there's no moment, there's no holiday, there's no person that's going to be able to truly satisfy you. In the moment, that might feel like it satisfies you, but in the end, it it does not. And we're always longing, this is why we need um, Christ so um, it was a good Sunday. Good word from Sam. Thanks again for pinch hitting. So if you'll notice last week though, this was in the realia food and drink. Jesus did not eat or drink with any anyone. So we extrapolated, we pulled those words out and we kind of moved that through like this is what's happening in this series overall, but th- last week wasn't a week where we saw Jesus sit down to eat or drink. And today he will. Um, so a few weeks back, if you'll remember, we saw Jesus sit down with Levi. He calls Levi, the tax collector. Loved that Sunday. I loved that passage. I loved everything about it because, you know, he was a tax collector. He was the scum of the earth is what I think the phrase that we used. And he comes into his home and Jesus goes in there and eats with him. And at the end of that sermon, I asked the question, when's the last time you were invited to eat into the home um, of someone that's far from the Lord? Are you approachable enough and are connected to unbelievers to the degree that they would say, hey, will not you come over for dinner or come have coffee with me? Or when's the last time that you and I were bold enough to reach out to someone that was far from the Lord and say, hey, I want to invite you into my home? Um, That's what we're hoping to, to catch on to this realia, this, this teaching tool of bringing people and putting them across the table from us as the walls come down and we can listen to their stories and get to know them and then we can point to the love of Christ. That's the, that's the main part of these teaching rhythms. And if we're missing that, then we're missing uh, the whole point. But sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it's not easy because sometimes it can be uncomfortable finding ways to connect with unbelievers or people that are not like us. So I have a a personal opinion that we as Christians fall into one of what I'm calling four quadrants. This is not, um, I'm not pulling this from the Word of God. This is completely from Jerry's head. There's probably six or seven, but I'm only listing four, and I'm going to throw these up here for you guys. The first is of the quadrants is made up of those who, quite honestly, they're they're believers, but they're not on mission. They're not... Um, just radical in their Jesus followership to the degree that everyone can look at them and listen to them and know that, oh, this is a serious, bona fide, sold out for Christ Christian. So they're not on mission. And in that case, eating and drinking with others is quite natural. There's no controversy. There's no hard questions. There's no kind of pushback on anything that comes up in the conversation. Um, So yeah, there's nothing there to really make them uncomfortable. So that's where a lot of people might fall. Uh, The second one is what I'm calling the intolerant and the intolerant is made up of those that are intolerant of sinners and um, sinfulness and have very little uh, to do with them. So whether it be cursing or smoking or their sexual lifestyle or the way that they think, their liberal theology or politics or whatever, in this camp people are repulsed, it's a strong word but by that behavior to the degree that they've chosen not to tolerate it. So they just stay away and they have very little interactions with people that make them feel uncomfortable or that do not think uh, like them. This is, um, this is also like the soapbox preacher who stands up and spews his venom on the crowd telling all of them how vile that they are and then gets off the soapbox and, and feels good about, um, you know, the, the stones that are thrown at him afterward. Uh, we've got We've got to make sure that we don't forget that we're all sinners, saved by grace. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Tis the nature of the beast for sinners to sin. And before Christ, we did likewise. And even if we didn't do it outwardly and openly to the degree that some of these people did, we did in our hearts, and Jesus knows that. So we've got to make sure that we refrain from sticking our nose up in the air from people that are not like us. Um, there was a book written in 2000 called "Leadership and Self Deception," and in this book, amongst other ideas that were presented, was this reminder that people pretty much know how you think about them without you ever saying a word. Your de- demeanor, your body language, your your response to things that they say, your getting up and walking away, or having to go get a drink anytime that they speak, or whatever—that tells them a lot of how you feel about them. And I only mention that because oftentimes. Um, how we feel about unbelievers, whether we think that they're vile or disgusting or too loud or, you know, whatever. They pretty much know that in the way that we present ourselves uh, to them without ever even speaking a word. Okay, the third in the quadrants is made up of those who aren't necessarily intolerant of the sinfulness of sinners, but there's a genuine fear that's there, Um, so they keep a distance. We have a tendency to uh, be afraid of that which we don't understand or to demonize those that we don't think like or don't understand so if someone has a struggle with drugs or sexual identity or whatever well we don't understand those things and it's hard to talk about them and it's and it's understandably uncomfortable and it feels a little dangerous to get close to that so a lot of times we just do not Uh, we keep our distance uh, we may actually have empathy for them, but we're not really sure what to do. So that fear keeps us uh, from getting too close to them. Now, I haven't seen it yet, but I read, I always read movie reviews, parents. I encourage you to do so as well. But there's a great website, it's from Focus on the Family called Plugged In Online. And pretty much any movie that comes out, and I'm thinking about going to see, always go read the review and i was reading the review yesterday and at the end the guy says this is the movie jesus revolution and he says after having you know reviewed 200 and some movies over the past however many years and all of the christian flicks that have ever come out this is by far my favorite christian movie that i've seen jesus revolution haven't seen it yet i'm going to but it's a true story of the jesus revolution that took place back in the 70s and it was the the pastor chuck smith who was like i don't get hippies i just think they're weird And then the Lord brings the Jesus-loving hippie into his life, and then a true revival took place. So that's a little bit of the quadrant three people. If we don't understand them, we just stay away from them. And the fourth in the quadrant is for the daring, those who are solid in their faith, who aren't easily tempted, or when they are, they confess their sins quickly. They know what they believe. They know why they believe it. Uh, They're not arrogant about their their faith. There is a a demeanor of what I call a, a bridled confidence, which is how I often um, define what meekness is. It's this bridled confidence, not overbearing, but not afraid either. They understand their own sinfulness, how Christ has rescued them. They're not surprised to see the depths uh, uh, that people will travel in an attempt to find purpose or happiness or identity or whatever in their life. And therefore, these individuals in quadrant four are not afraid to go sit down across the table from sinners, from people that are not like them, in their homes or anywhere else. So I have that one listed as being on gospel mission. They know that that mission includes making Christ known to people far from him. Great Commission says, go make disciples. It doesn't just say go disciple, and I think this is where the church misses it a lot of times. When it says go make disciples, there is an evangelistic component there where you actually have to go share Christ before you can actually make a disciple of him. Okay, in today's passage, we're not going to look at all four of these quadrants, uh, but we're going to get a, a, you know, a, a quick you know, glance at where Jesus lands in this quadrant four because we see him once again in Luke chapter 7, He's going to be walking into a dinner invitation with people that um, don't think like him. In this case, they're Pharisees, so it's a little bit different. But um, you're, we're going to see the impact that thankfulness, um, what it looks like, and what what um, just what forgiveness can do to someone once they understand that their sins are are forgiven. And hopefully, as we continue to go through this week in and week out, more of us will be daring, and we'll be willing to, to start praying, I call it strategically, for these same people that the Lord has placed on our hearts, and then connect with them, and then just be bold enough to say, hey, would you come over for dinner next Thursday night? We'd love to get to know you a little bit, you know, and just have dinner with them. No strings attached. Hear their story and see what the Lord does with that. Okay, so all of that's by way of introduction. But now it's time to open up the Word of God. So we are going to look at Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read it for us in a moment. It's, in the, it's small up here. If you've got good eyes, you can see that. It's in your worship guide. you got your Bibles. You've got your phones. But before we do so, let's pray. Pray that the Lord will open up His Word to us this morning. Lord, I thank you for this church, and I thank you for the opportunity to open up the Word of God. Lord, thank you for... Um, They're they're just a reminder of what you've done in our hearts and our lives and how you've transformed us. And I'm sure that there are people that are here this morning that have not experienced the grace and the mercy that comes through Christ and that have not truly embraced this gospel message that has this Jesus, this Son of God, look at us in the eyes and say, your sins are forgiven forever. I have paid the penalty. And Lord, if that is true, Lord, I pray that they would come to you. And for those of us that have had our sins forgiven, I pray that we would be transformed and that we would learn um, this morning as we uh, jump into this passage. Lord, you know I sit here as someone who's pretty weak this morning, and um, Lord, as always, uh, the goal is for Christ to increase, for us to decrease. May every word that is from Jerry quickly fall to the ground, but everything that is from your Spirit Lord, may it sink into our hearts and forever challenge us and change us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Here's the Word of God. This is Luke chapter 7, verses thirty-three through 50. It's a lengthy passage, but we've got to read the whole thing. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her children. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. Verse 40, And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed fifty hundred denarii, the other fifty. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's a powerful passage. And it's packed full of a lot of truths that we're going to look at. Um, The main ones we're going to get to is going to get to when we get into the Pharisee and um, the woman coming in. But I I can't ignore what I see here at the very beginning. So let me start off by saying this. A few words about Christian leadership in general. It's just three simple words, man. It is hard. I've been in Christian leadership for 26 years of my life. And I can tell you without batting an eye that it's just hard. Um, we, we resolve in our hearts to follow Christ and to make him known and to attempt to lead others in that process, not everything that we do is going to be understood or appreciated. And I'm not just talking about pastors and ministry leaders. I'm talking about just believers here too. You know, if you're a sold out for Christ Christian and you're trying to be on mission and you're trying to lead in that area, that's for you too, this reminder that it is hard. I got a kick out of Wednesday's CBR Community Bible Reading. Not everyone does that, but this this past week, we were in the book of Acts, and, and here's Paul and Barnabas, and man, they were being praised in one verse, and people were like just singing their praises, and then a couple of people came in and began, uh, began to like complain and be agitators, and within just a few verses, everyone decided that they just should be stoned, they should be killed. And I just laughed out loud. I was like, that's exactly what happens. It happens pretty quickly. One minute people are singing your praises, and the next minute they say, off with your head. I've experienced that. Maybe not to that degree, but many of you guys have as well. And I don't want to belabor the point or whine about the truth of it from a a pastor's perspective. But I do want to acknowledge it because I see it right here in the passage. Let's look at it again. This is Luke 70, or 7, uh, 33 through 35. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So if we were to go back and look at John the Baptist, his whole life, even before birth, he was designated as the one who was to go before Christ to point people to him to get their attention, to show them the need of repentance, and to let them know that Messiah was coming. His sole mission, point people to Jesus no matter what, even if it ends up costing you your life, and in the end it ended up costing him and his his life. My favorite uh, verse um, related to John the Baptist is 3.30, and I referenced it in my prayer a moment ago. And he says, he must um, increase, speaking of Jesus, and I must decrease. That should be our prayer every day when we wake up. Lord, help me to decrease that Jesus might increase. And he was a leader. He was a leader of leaders. He was an ambassador of uh, ambassadors. And how did lots of people characterize him, especially the religious leaders and those that did not approve of his methods or um, his message? They basically said, this guy eats grasshoppers and honey. He dresses funny. He makes people feel uncomfortable with all of this talk about Messiah. And their conclusion was, we see it right here, He has a demon. They choose the the conclusion based upon the fact that John the Baptist did not act normal. And his words were either convicting or made people feel uncomfortable. So the easier thing to do is just quickly dismiss him. And then here comes Messiah himself. Here comes Christ, the Son of God. And as we've been talking about for several weeks now, Jesus is shaking things up. He's turning everything on its head He's doing things different than they thought Messiah would. And now we see him eating at the table with a tax collector and all of his tax collectors' friends and sinners. So how did the religious leaders describe him when they didn't approve of his methods or his words? Same thing. They saw Jesus doing things that were unorthodox that religious leaders should not do, and Jesus should know this. His words were convicting to some made other people feel uncomfortable, so they came to their own conclusion, and you can see it right here, Jesus is a glutton and a drunkard. so easy to dismiss him. If you, if you ever had logic, this is what we would call an ad hominem fallacy, where you're pointing to the person and dismissing who they are uh, just because, you know, of, of who they are. So an ad hominem fallacy, like for example, would be um, if, you know, Mike Tierney were to say something really, really profound and amazing and truthful and good, but also very convicting. And Mark Skier is like, yeah, but this is a guy that wears this cutoff shirt at Christmas and looks like an idiot. Who knows, you know, what he's doing? Who knows what he thinks? Just quickly dismiss him. Mike Tierney, you, you, you immediately look at something that someone does and you dismiss them. Therefore, this word cannot be true. And it's an easy way to dismiss people, right? You may not even be a Biden fan at all, but he may say something that's really, really, really true, but you what you find coming out of your heart, it's, it's Joe Biden. What an idiot. Who can believe anything that he says? That's an ad hominem, and we've all done it. We've all said it. Now, I could have said the same thing about Trump, so I'm not, this is not like a political thing. I'm just saying we're quick to dismiss people without actually listening to what they have to say. That's what they're doing here. And you see, you can't win for losing when it comes to trying to please people on this earth, but more specifically, when you're doing your very best to follow Christ and make his way known to others. Why? And here's the reason. Because people will always find a way to criticize you about something that you do. We're fallible people. We Christians, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to do some dumb things along the way. There's only one that was sinless, and that is not us. I had to remind a pastor friend of mine that this past year, he went through some stuff, and he he, he got hurt. He had some people that he loved that just kind of walked away from him and that criticized him. And sometimes you're like, yeah, that's just part of it. And then sometimes it really, really hurts. And I know that as well. And I just had to point him to this passage. This is Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Just as a reminder, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. And here's the part that I was trying to just get him to just just sink his teeth into. You are serving the Lord Christ. The reminder is that ultimately it's Christ that you are serving. Um, You'll do one thing or make one decision in one moment, and people are going to say you're crazy, and the next moment they're going to say you've got a demon, and other people are going to listen to you, and other people are going to say you're a drunkard or a glutton. You know, either way, you got to keep on doing what Christ has called you do that doesn't mean you don't grow and it doesn't mean you don't learn from your mistakes but you can't let those things throw you um, off of your, your trail so jesus knew that he'd be challenged for healing on the sabbath as an example or touching a leper or calling a tax collector like levi to follow him or accepting an invitation to a dinner full of sinners where there was wine flowing and food in abundance he knew that people would criticize him for that but he did it anyway it's not the main point of our passage today, uh, but it shouldn't be overlooked either. So I'm going to make it truth number one. If you've got your worship guides and you'd like to fill in the blanks, I've got one here for you. Truth number one, as a follower of Jesus, again, we're not talking about just pastors and missionaries here. We're talking about people that are serious about following Christ and you're leading in the way that you do that. Especially as a leader, you will often be persecuted by others as you seek to faithfully follow Christ and to lead others. As a follower of Jesus, especially as a leader, you will often be persecuted by others as you seek to faithfully follow Christ and lead others. But remember, our call is go make disciples. We must be about the Father's business no matter what. So it shouldn't surprise us when this happens. People make up their minds pretty quickly whether they're going to follow you or not or whether they're going to follow your, your teaching or not. And especially if you make a mistake or two, you can get thrown under the bus you know, pretty quickly. Um, It'll surely happen to all of us, to everyone who's in here that's serious about following Christ. Neighbors, family members, uh, former friends, or whomever. uh, You'll, you'll ad hominem wise, you'll be quickly dismissed. So when that happens to you, Christian leader, resolve in your heart, I I follow Christ, I serve Christ, and continue doing what he has called you to do. Uh, My question number one, I've got three truths and three questions today, and here's my question number one, it's for all of us. Does my tone, my thoughts, my words, my prayers, my actions, does my tone toward the Christian leaders in my life reflect gospel grace? Or do I find myself trying to identify the faults with them? We did um, sermon prep two or three weeks ago on this particular passage, and this one just jumped out at me. I'm like, oh, wow. I've seen in my own life and in my own heart when I've had people that were over me, just how quick I was to just point out the things that they were doing wrong and instead of just having grace you know, toward them and praying for them on a regular basis. It's, que- it's easy to, um, to, you know, to just write people off and quickly write them off, especially when they make mistakes. But because of the gospel, just the challenge for us this morning is um, to do the opposite, uh, to be prayers and to be encouragers. Um, So that's our introduction to the passage, but then we continue in Luke 7 when we see Jesus going in to have dinner. So he's invited, and here he goes off to dinner again. Verse number 36, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair, with her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now look at verse number 39. When the Pharisees who had invited him, when the Pharisees saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus is now going to address him. So the Pharisee, as as most of us know, but I don't want to assume anything, the Pharisees, these are the trained religious leaders of the day. They knew the word of God up one side and down the other. They knew the law. They're experts in the law. They were the teachers of the law. And they were truly waiting for Messiah to come. But surely this could not be him, they say, because Jesus was doing everything backward. Therefore, many simply turned against him, and did everything that they could to stop him, and even attempted to have him killed, which eventually that they, would, they would succeed in, which was Christ's sovereign plan all along. Others were challenged by Jesus. They were drawn to him. We see Nicodemus in John chapter 3 as a Pharisee that comes to him at night, because he's like, this guy's got something. There's something there, and I need to find out what it is. Um, and that in itself was a show of faith. But in this particular passage, he's invited to have dinner in a Pharisee's home. Not quite sure what Simon the Pharisee's motivation is for inviting him, but here's what we do know. Here's some of the facts. He is a Pharisee, yet he does ask Jesus to come to his home for dinner. This was not a hidden encounter like it was um, with Nicodemus. It was out in the open. We'll also learn as we continue with the passage that he was probably not the most hospitable of, um, of hostesses. He, um, he invited him, um, but he, um, he didn't show a, a ton of kindness and, and graciousness to him. So it was an invitation to a meal. It was probably what would be called a Greco-Roman Symposium meal. That's a mouthful. But what that was was it was a meal that would conclude with an extended time of discussion among the educated people that were at the table. Okay. So why? Well, there was probably an agenda to find out who Jesus is, what he believes about this and about that to determine if he really is a threat to the religious system or not. Uh, I have my doubts based on the words in this passage that the Pharisee had pure, loving, grace-filled motives for inviting Jesus into his home, but he did invite him. So let's give him credit for that. And Jesus, you know, Jesus always obliges when he's invited to come into someone's home. So why did he? We've said it over and over and over because eating and drinking with people is one of Jesus' key strategies for revealing himself and truth to people when he came and incarnated on this earth. But why? Why did Simon the Pharisee invite Jesus in the first place? Levi invited him because he had become a follower and he invited all of his friends to come and hear him as well. Zacchaeus, that we'll learn about later, you know, he's the same thing. He comes down from the tree and he's goes and invites Jesus in and and apologizes for everything that he's done wrong Um, but why Simon the Pharisee why did he invite him was it for show was it to correct Jesus and show him where he was off a bit to show him some things in the law that maybe he was missing was it to impress his friends for Jesus had quite a following by now I don't know but I don't think that he had pure motives I'm not sure, but my prayerful ponderings as I thought about this led to what is our truth number two of the day, which we'll expand upon a little bit in a moment. It's this. We can desire to have Jesus as a part of our lives for all of the wrong reasons. We can start doing Christian things because we want to impress others or because we want to escape hell and go to heaven. Or maybe so he can help us find a mate or get a better job or um, maybe somehow it'll help us to pay for all of the wrong things that we've done in our past or maybe it'll just get us out of this pickle of a situation that we're in more on the wrong motives versus the right maybe a little bit later. But for now, just not, understand this, not everyone who walks an aisle or prays a prayer really gets it. For when we truly encounter the risen Lord, and understand all that his gospel, this good news, entails, it will, according to the word of God, produce fruits of repentance that will show our motive, our main motive, is bowing before him as Savior and Lord. After we receive his forgiveness so undeservingly, our motive is to love him back for what he has done in our lives. That takes us to question number two. What is my primary reason for wanting Jesus to be a part of my life? That's such a simple question. Such an odd question, but it's a question that we should wrestle with. Because for some, the honest answer is, I'm only in this because I don't want to go to hell. I believe in God and I believe that Jesus existed. I don't want to go to hell right? But that doesn't mean that you're a believer just because you can say that. And I think I can take you to the book of James and show you that in other passages as well, that you can have mental assent. You can believe something in your mind, but that doesn't mean that you're following Jesus, and there's a huge difference between those two. Jesus desires so much more than just rescuing you from hell. He desires a relationship with you. He desires true fellowship, He desires to live through you for his glory. And if we're attempting to bring Jesus into our lives for the wrong reasons, it'll show pretty quickly. Because we will be lacking in the actions that matter most to him. Mainly love, which we will see in a moment with this woman who comes into the Pharisees' house. We don't want to be the one spoken of at the end with John references that cries out, Lord, Lord, did I not do this or that in your name? And Jesus looks this individual in the eye and says, Sorry, you can't come in. I never knew you. And that's going to happen to way too many people that you and I know that come to church on a regular basis. That think... That they're in community group, or they go to church, or they do these things, and because of that, somehow the good outweighs the bad, and they're going to come into heaven. And Jesus will look at some of them and say, I'm sorry, I don't know you. You never followed me. You you never came to me. And it's a a call. It's a simple question. Why am I doing the things that I'm doing? But it's one that we must wrestle with. We're talking about eternity. Not 80 years or 85 years. We're talking about eternity. So back to our passage, and doing a little research on the homes at the time, I gathered some information that might help us to understand how in the world this this woman shows up. Most of the large homes at the time, they had these semi-public areas. There were rooms that were open in a courtyard. Sometimes even the table where they were having dinner was kind of back in the back, and the side of that, there was this you know, kind of a public area that people could be walking down the streets and they could see it. So if someone wanted to, if there was a witness that was in that area, they could easily find their way into the Pharisee, in this case's you know, backyard. So here's this lady standing in a public area. She finds out that Jesus is at Simon the Pharisee's house. So she wanders in, um, probably through that area. We know little about her. The wording suggests maybe she was a prostitute, maybe not, Uh, definitely a sinner. Uh, maybe she had seen jesus heal maybe she saw him heal and then tell someone that their sins were forgiven again we don't know but we do know that she had faith enough that she knew that jesus was the real thing and she did the unthinkable she barged into this symposium um, dinner in such a way that she completely turned the evening on its head And Jesus will use this as a realia. This is going to be a teaching moment for everyone that's there. There's a teaching tool to show the Pharisee and everyone else who was there um, what really, really mattered. There was a point that he wanted to make. So look at it again. Verse number 37. A woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an albuster flask of ointment. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Yeah, that'll shake things up a little bit, won't it? She begins to pour ointment on Jesus' feet and she cries and she wipes his feet with her hair. Can someone say, awkward moment? This was an awkward moment. Picture yourself as one of the Pharisees that's sitting and watching this take place. And even though the Pharisee, Simon, is shocked, he doesn't say it out loud, but listen to his thoughts. Verse number 39, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. He said to himself, but Jesus heard and responded to his thoughts. And in verse number 40, it says, Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. So a quick pause, just as a a reminder, we don't have to speak the words for Jesus to know our thoughts and what's in our hearts. For a little bit more on this, I just encourage you to go spend a little bit of time and. Psalm 139. He knows your thoughts, your doubts, your struggle. He desires truth in the inner parts and whatever this is that's inside that maybe you're embarrassed to let come out of your mouth, it's already there. Acknowledge it. Be real with the Lord, even with those kinds of thoughts because he already he already knows them. But when Jesus begins a sentence with, "Simon, I have something to say to you," then you better know that there's a message getting ready to come. He doesn't just love the woman in this passage, but he also loves Simon as well. And he desires for Simon to see his own heart and to see things that he can't see. So he shares this story. This is verse 41 through 50. certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50... When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, well, the one, I suppose, who he canceled the larger debt. Said, you're, you're right. You judge rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Listen to this, verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who are at the table are looking around and they're saying, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace and in saying this, we're back to this same theme that we've been talking about for about three weeks now, aren't we? Served people, served people, loved people, love people, forgiven people, forgive people, and so on. We see a response from this sinner, this person whom Simon the Pharisee has identified correctly by saying, she has no business being here. She has no business being in my home. No business wiping Jesus' feet and ruining my dinner. She had a reputation and as such was unworthy to come into my home and do what she did. But here's where Jesus turns things on its head again. He has a point to make and does he ever make it? He first reveals some of Simon's ulterior motives for inviting Jesus by noting that he probably wasn't the most kind, hospitable, and definitely not the most worshipful of hosts. But this lady, this sinner, she got it. She came in faith. She came to see Jesus. She came to worship Jesus, to be near him, not worried about any, what anyone else was going to think. And she came with a thankful heart, and she openly worshiped and she cried, and she worshiped even more, and Jesus received her. When we have this moment where we get it, we understand who Jesus is and what this gospel is. We don't care what people think. This is like David dancing in his underwear, you know, before, you know, all of Israel. They're like, what are you doing? And in that moment, he didn't care. It was a a true moment of worship, and when we see Jesus for who he is, the response is just so transparent and so real that it'll catch people by surprise. So not only does Jesus receive her, but once again, he does the unthinkable. He declares that her sins are forgiven, and he tells her that her faith has saved her and that she can now go in shalom. She can go in peace. And the question for all who sat at the table that day, it's, it's the question of questions. Who is it that can forgive sins? That was the question of the hour and probably the primary reason that Jesus came to this dinner. He was trying to reveal himself as the lover of sinners and the only one who actually has the power To forgive their sins. It was both a declaration of Jesus' identity as being Messiah, the Son of God, and a declaration, hear me, church, hear me, especially those that are you're wondering and you're asking and you're not sure where your own heart is. It was a declaration that no one has sinned to such a degree that there can't be forgiveness. No one. Not this lady, and not Simon the Pharisee. And back to our quadrants, the people that we we fear, that we don't understand, and we don't like the way that they think or live or what have you, none of them have sinned to the degree that the gospel power, the forgiveness that comes through Christ's blood cannot forgive them. Who are we to pick and choose who comes to heaven? We must be willing to love those people in the same way That Jesus did. This woman's response takes us to our final truth of the day. It's a doozy. If you're filling in your blanks, the degree to which we do or do not love, show thankfulness, display hospitality, and worship the Lord lies in direct correlation to our understanding as to the depth to which, he, to which we comprehend our sins being forgiven. I told you it was a mouthful. I didn't know how to condense it. You all could probably do a better job of condensing it. The degree to which we do or do not love, show thankfulness, display hospitality, and worship the Lord lies in direct correlation to how much we understand of our sins being forgiven By the Lord. Consider these logical conclusions that you could pull from what I just said in this truth. He who is forgiven little holds grudges and forgives little. He who isn't truly thankful will complain much. He who doesn't understand that Jesus welcomes deep sinners. We will not show hospitality to them. He who has experienced the Lord's love will love very little. He who doesn't see Jesus for who he is will worship very little, if at all. This is the fruit of whether we truly understand the magnitude of this gospel that we proclaim. But these are also true the reverse. And this is where I hope we land this morning. I hope this is the part that sinks into our hearts and we walk out of here worshiping and praising and with thankful hearts. If we've been forgiven much, we must love much. It's not an option. If we're truly thankful, then thankfulness should flow from, from within us regularly, not grumbling and complaining. If we understand that we are so unworthy of salvation— we will be quick to show hospitality to others, including the lowly and the downcast, the people that make us feel a little uncomfortable. If we've experienced the Lord's love, we will love well and we will love deeply. If we recognize Jesus for who he is, the eternal son of God and the only one who has the power to forgive sins, We'll worship him. How can we not? He's declared our sins to be forgiven. He said, you are saved. You can go in peace. How can we not worship him? How can we not show up on a Sunday morning or get up on a Monday morning and talk to him and worship him? Do you and I truly understand who he is, what he has done, how much we are forgiven and loved, it must and it will carry over into our lives and into the lives of others that we're connected to. I'll say it again even the downcast and the lowly. Jesus loves the woman, she was a sinner, but he also loves the self righteous Pharisee as well. He wants both of them to understand the magnitude of their sin and the power that comes through the belief in the gospel and we can learn from Jesus along the way the one who eats with tax collectors and sinners but also eats with these self-righteous leaders why? because they all need a savior and we would do well to follow suit and to step out in faith and to go sit down across the table from these people that are searching they're just searching everybody wants to be loved and cared for everybody's looking for identity and purpose we all are You know, and maybe they're going about it in ways that you and I aren't. But they're just searching, and they need Jesus. And we've got the answer. And just to step out in faith and invite them into our homes, it would be good for us to experience that and to point them to Christ. i got to look at my watch, see how we're on time. If you find yourself sitting here this morning and you recognize that your Christian walk is being done for all of the wrong reasons. Maybe it's truly a Christian walk and maybe it's not. But you have forgotten the depths to which you've been rescued from. You've forgotten how much he loves you and forgiven you. Just remember that this morning and worship him. Maybe you're sitting here today and you don't really know Christ. You are the woman in this passage. In faith, come to him. He will receive you. No matter how great your sins are. And if you come in faith, his message that he gave to her will be true for you as well, where he says, Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Powerful words. He's the only one who has the power to forgive you of your sins and to have your life make sense and to give you purpose and to give you identity. There's a lot in this passage. It's good stuff. I call this my COVID message because I have no idea what I wrote on Tuesday when I started working on this thing. And when I got up and read it, I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is the Lord. This is the word of God. And it's challenging. This needs to challenge us. It needs to, as Jesus is looking at Simon the Pharisee and saying, I got something I want to say to you, Simon. You ready for this? And Simon says, speak teacher. He's, he's doing the same thing for us this morning. He's got a word for us. This can't be us walking out of here, continuing to live the way that we've lived before. We must be thankful. We must worship. We must be willing to connect to people that are not like us. And even going back to the first point, we've got we to do a better job of praying for and encouraging leaders as we, as we go along as well. Let's just spend a few minutes in prayer. Um, who's doing communion this morning? Mike, you're, you're doing communion. you got your workers. Let's do this. We'll I'm going to call an audible. Can I do that? You guys go ahead and pass out the communion elements, if you will. You can go ahead and do that right now. Um, I'm going to pray. You can go ahead and start um, passing them out. And we'll just be silent before the Lord for a moment. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Oops, here's my watch. Because I know that we don't have a lot of time this morning. But I will open it up for a few moments just in case there is a response from someone or two in the audience. Let's just be still before the Lord first. Lord, as best as I am capable, Lord, I've, I've given this word to this body, and I pray that it will not return void. Meet us where we are at. Look at us in the eyes, Lord, and speak the word to us that we need to hear. We have thoughts in our hearts and our minds right now that you can hear, and I pray that you would hear them, O oh God. Make yourself known to us. The psalmist cries out, be still and know that I am God. In this moment, Lord, I'm just reminded how good it is to take a moment in this busy world, in this busy life, just to be still and to have our hearts exposed and to ponder truth from your word. Lord, have your way with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you showed up today in your I guess what I would call a seeker, you're someone who's gone through the motions or you don't really know the Lord or you're not sure that you know the Lord. I can point in any direction and show you 20 or 30 people that can sit down with you and, and walk you through the word of God and show you the truth of the gospel. In the same way that the woman in faith came into the Pharisees' home, there is a step of faith that's always needed, always. The righteous shall live by faith. It's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And sometimes it's just that step of faith where you're, you know, come knocking on somebody's life and say, hey, I need to talk to somebody. If that's you this morning, don't walk out of here. Come see me. See someone that you know. It's too great of a moment for you to walk away from it if the Lord's convicting your heart. Mike, you've got a microphone. Mike with a mic. We'll just open it up for a few moments. This is not necessarily like deep questions from the Word of God this morning. This is more of there's a stirring in my heart. I'm hearing this thing in my heart, and I've got to respond. I've got to say a few words. Maybe it's just a word of encouragement. Maybe it's another passage that came to you. But if you, if you have something this morning that could encourage this body, stick your hand up in the air and Mike will bring you the mic. Scott. good morning. Um, I just want to say thankful for being faithful to the word. And um, it occurred to me that, you know, the spirit was kind of saying in my heart when you had talked about um, the sin of the woman and how she came, Uh, there was no precondition. Jesus didn't ask her, what have you done? There was no litmus test for whether they could come. Actually, it was probably the exact opposite in that he didn't evaluate either one of them in light of that, just simply how they came. Uh, so I just wanted to, to kind of say that specifically because I think that's really important. It's not what we've done. It's just our willingness to set everything else aside and come yeah, and, and be accepted. So. Yeah, that's good. Thanks, Scott. Got okay, Michelle over here. While, while we're going to Michelle, I did forget the third question. So this one's an important one as we're walking out of here. Do I live as though I have been loved and forgiven much, dot, 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 or not? Sometimes it's good for your own friends and family members to answer that question for you. You may think you're doing all right, and they may say, yeah, not so much so. Okay, Michelle.
1: So one of the first questions that you were talking about was just, you know, how we relate to leadership. Hmm. And it's a real struggle because we are called to discern whether our leaders are telling us the truth. So I don't think it was bad for the Pharisees to question Jesus hmm. That was their job. And they're, you know, like we've heard in other verses, I think it was uh, Gaius who said, hey, if Jesus is from God, it will, (laughs) there's nothing you can do about it. And if he's not, it'll filter out just like so-and-so and and -and so-and-so. So that's where I struggle. I'm like, how do you have the balance? Because on the one hand, you might feel like you're protecting others. By by discerning, like I'm sure there were Pharisees that felt like they were protecting the Jewish people from this radical man, you know. And yet, there's sometimes when we we don't. And then then I thought further, and I thought, okay, well, how do we approach leadership? And I think if you can, I wrote it down. I said if you can go to discern your leadership, but doing it from like a for noble reasons. Um, and with a heart that is for them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, like, if you're approaching a leadership, but your heart is not to make yourself comfortable or to judge them as, you know, you know, you should know better and you're whatever, but if our heart is for that person in leadership, I, I just think our posture could be different. Yeah. And I think that when we have been forgiven much and loved much Mm -hmm. and stuff like that, then our posture towards everyone is different. It's like um, humility, but with confidence, confidence that we're forgiven, confidence that we um, have assurance, confidence that we're part of a family that we're, you know, like when when we lived overseas and I approached like a, a, a government official's office and I had all my paperwork in order. I could approach with confidence. I was humble though because it wasn't my country, they had every right to kick me out anytime that they wanted, but like I had the paperwork that they asked for and I had it in order and I was confident um, in that. And so I just think that as I was thinking about that question, how do you as a believer still discern and I I don't want to say judge your leadership, but like, you have to weigh and sift what they're doing. Um, Otherwise, you can be led to some really crazy places. But how do you uh, uh, still approach them? And I think the difference is the posture. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, no,
0: I think it's good. Uh, You know, there's a deep. There's always deeper things that could come out sermon like that. I even sent to Sam a couple of days ago, and I'm like, hey, should I even take point number one out? You know, because it's there, and I I think it's important that we see it. But at the same time, I don't want to like miss the main point of what I think I think that this passage is about. You know, to really understand what was happening with the Pharisees, you can't just ex, you know pull out this one passage. You have to look at everything that's happening with the Pharisees. So on one hand, they're trying to protect the people, but at the other time, you know, on the, on the other hand, Jesus is calling them a brood of vipers. And calling them whitewashed tombs, so there was definitely some stuff in their heart that was not noble, and that was not trying to protect people. In fact, it was trying to deceive people. And Jesus was trying to make that known. So we have to kind of you know look at that in context. But there are other Pharisees that were like, I don't know, maybe he's right. And then you look at a Nicodemus that says, I think you might be onto something. Tell me more, teacher. So that's a kind of a deeper thing. There's a one of my favorite passages. Michelle is in uh, Titus three. And it's a simple passage, and it just says, show perfect courtesy to all people. So whether that be your neighbor or whether that be a leader, just showing courtesy to them, giving people the benefit of the doubt you know, approaching them with gentleness and with respect and being quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry, all of that is a part of that demeanor that you're talking about, your posture and the way that you're presenting to people. But if you're automatically just kind of looking at the bad that people do or the mistakes that they make or, you know, decisions and you never give them the benefit of the doubt, that actually is a part of our heart as well. That's a heart, you know, posture because we're all broken. We're all going to make mistakes. This is what I tell people. Like in leadership, this don't look at the pastor. Here. Just look at your boss or whomever, so I don't want this to be like a, a redstone, you know, thing, but if you go to someone and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this, and we'd have this conversation, you do it with perfect courtesy, and you're gentle, and you bring across a point to them, and maybe you were like spot on, you know how loving that is for them to be like, oh my gosh, you're right, I really dropped the ball in that situation and you give them the opportunity to see that and to grow, that's the kind of patience that Jesus has with us. And it is an opportunity you know, to grow. And sometimes it's an opportunity to, re- to repent. As I was leading the school, I used to tell the teachers, I would be like, man, if you screw up, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that out loud, but I did. If you screw up, you know, it, and, and you mess up and you... Judge incorrectly, or you end up you know disciplining your you know your your class too hard and you recognize it, and the Lord convicts you. you know what the best gift that you can give to those kids is repentance. you can show them your teacher messed up, I blew it, and I am so sorry I'm so thankful for the grace of Christ that helps me to learn that it's the same thing, just the way that we approach a leader enables them to be able to kind of learn and grow as well, okay, there was a lot there, anything else before we move on, because I know we got to go yes, just. Jesse Madison.
2: Hey, guys. Um, I think this was a really good passage. Um, There's a lot of good stuff here. I actually, like, sat down last night. It was 12 a.m., 1 a.m. I've been working night shift, so I was, like, out of sorts. I'm like, I just need to read through Luke. Um, And one of the things that I realized as I was reading through Luke is that it's very difficult to believe Jesus. And he knows that, which is why he came performing miracles. He was just raising dead people, giving sight to the blind, um, and even the Pharisees wouldn't believe him in the setting of all the miracles. And in the beginning of this passage, he even says, um, "You know, you guys don't know what's right. You said John, John the Baptist, is not eating; he has a demon. I'm a glutton." And he says, "Yet wisdom, what's it say?" Wisdom is justified by all her children. And at the end of this, I guess at the end of 50, he, he even impresses the importance of faith. In order to believe Jesus, to believe your leaders, to, to know what's right, to discern wisdom, there's an aspect of faith that is mixed up into all of it. Um, you have to have faith in the Lord. And uh, I mean, And what he's doing and i think that's a huge huge part of being a christian is is leading with faith
0: yeah that's good enough said yeah good word anyone else mike you ready to do communion we got one more miss sarah we'll end on this one
1: yeah sorry i'm a little nervous i haven't done this before um but one of the things i had a little bit lighthearted um what i got from this and um I got to know God really young, and so I think that it was kind of trained in me, like, to be faithful um, and to really rely on him in every hard situation. But something that I think about is I am not always as thankful. So faithfulness comes easier than my thankfulness mm. because I'm always relying on him, but I, I don't really remember the things that he's protecting me from that I'm not seeing, and um, I really realize today that like I need to be more thankful for all of the things in my life that, that I didn't realize that I was protected from, so.
0: Yeah, thank you, Sarah. Yeah, lots to ponder. I like the fact that we try to respond a little bit after church sometimes when we, you know, when we have time, and I know we're running a little bit late, but just can keep, on, keep the conversation going. Mike's gonna walk us through uh, communion. I think we've got two songs that we're gonna sing, and then we'll continue. Uh, the conversation, if we will.